Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. We are in a new uh, series, and it is based in this. Um, it's actually a Pastor Robert Morris Gateway Church in, in Texas taught on it. Uh, but there are these seven profound words that we find around the Christmas story delivered in seven prophecies. And over the next four weeks, we're going to, we're going to, this will be a little bit off kilter because we're going to do a couple today and then maybe one or two next week and then singles uh, to get through it. But there are these seven amazing words that we need to remember are a part of Christmas. They are, these words are so associated with Christmas that, that I don't think we should ever stop talking about it. Um, the words we're going to talk through today are salvation and redemption. And these two words came through the prophetic, uh, through prophetic utterance of two different people. One was Zechariah, who we'll talk about in just a moment, or we're going to talk about first. And then the word redemption comes through a prophetess by the name of Anna. And uh, I think it would be beneficial for you to read Luke 1 and 2, Matthew 1 and 2. Read the Christmas story. You know, you could meditate on that. We should, Advent began, and you could really uh, meditate on the Christmas story for the entire month of December. You will get so much out of that. I tell you this as a person who for many, 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 many years has preached four or five and even six Christmas messages through the month of December for like my entire career. So, so I'm pretty well versed in Christmas um, stories and Christmas biblical uh, paraphernalia, which isn't really a thing. Um, here's, here's, here's the thing. This word salvation, of course, we've talked about this before. Pastor Amy shared on it recently. Sozo would be the Greek word for salvation. And I'm not going to get into all of the depth and meaning of that word, but today I'd like us to take a moment and, and just appreciate the revelation of what salvation is for you and I. Is that okay with you? So uh, we have Zechariah, who was a priest in the temple. And um, in his priestly service in the temple one day, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And that angel happened to be Gabriel, the same angel who talked to Mary, Gabriel. And uh, Gabriel uh, told him something that was going to happen. Zacharias, it says in the Bible, was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zachariah, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You know, Gabriel's a real pushy angel, obviously, because he shows up, he tells people, Do not be afraid, this is what's going to happen to you, and this is what you're going to name him. He said the exact same thing to Zachariah, and then he just changed the name for Mary. Of course, you could argue that Mary's announcement was maybe more important. But the angel stood there and talked to him, and he said, You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb, and he will turn many sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will be the forerunner for him in the spirit in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. This is quite a prophetic word he's getting from an angel, is it not? I mean, you know, you know I, I, think, I think it would be astounding to be standing there and have this happen. Behold, and then he says, um, Zechariah said at the end of this, he says, uh, but how will I know this is for certain? So he questioned the angel. Uh, and then he says, and, and this is why, this guy is clearly wise, because check out his wording here. This is what he says. He says, how will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, 
and my wife is advanced in years. That's wise. I, I might have said something stupid like, because I'm really, really old, and so is my wife. Or, my wife is actually older than me. You know, I would have just messed that up somehow. Not Zachariah. He was smart enough to know that, uh, that his wife was not allowed to be exposed in terms of her actual age. But then the angel says this is, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. At that point, you and I would be thinking, oh boy, we messed up. Uh, he says, and I've been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, now you shall be silent, unable to speak until the day when these things take place. You see, Zechariah's response to the angel Gabriel was not one of faith. You know, most people, or often people in Scripture, when an angel of the Lord talks to them, they have some questions initially, but generally, according to faith, they go with it. But not Zechariah. He's a little different. He says, I'm not so sure. And because of that, I think because the Holy Spirit knew his heart, because maybe even the angel Gabriel knew his heart, he said, you are not going to be able to talk until this comes to pass. And so... Zechariah um, continued on in his ministry until his days of ministry in the temple were over. And when he went home, sometime after he went home, his wife Elizabeth conceived and became pregnant. And then she kept to herself for five months. This was a very, uh, this was a very intimate experience. Now, the summation of this to this point is that Zachariah is married to Elizabeth. They are barren. Angel comes and says, you're going to have a child. He, of course, doesn't expose his wife's age, but says he's an old man. It can't happen. And then he's been made mute until this moment. And when they brought John out, when they brought him, they said, what are you going to name him? They said, we're going to name him John. And, and you know, the, in the culture uh, of that day, it was common to name your child in the line of your family. So if you're going to call him John, surely someone else in the family was named John. But that wasn't the case. This was an entirely new name to this family. And, uh, and so when they said his name is John, now Zechariah could still not speak. But he came out and he wrote down, his name is John. He wrote that out for people to see. And at that moment, his mouth was opened again. Okay, now here's what Zechariah says. And this is really what's important. The rest of this was just background for you today. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from, all the, hands, from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy towards our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him for all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child then continued to grow and become strong in the spirit, and he lived in the deserts until 
until the day of his public appearance in Israel. So this is the prophetic voice of Zacharias speaking about his son, who we would later know to become John the Baptist. Okay? But what I want to point out to you today is that there are some amazing things in this salva- salvatory word. And, and, and we need to understand this, that he spoke only by his prophets of old, and he said this in verse 71, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. I just want you to think about that this morning. The promise of salvation is ultimately that you and I are delivered, we are saved, we are sozoed, we are set free from our enemies, and from the hand of those who hate us. That salvation comes to show mercy towards our fathers. How many of you know that fathers in this day and age need to be shown mercy? Because the issue of fatherlessness in our society is a huge issue. And as a result, salvation is inclusive of this already. I love that Zechariah began to prophesy this as if it had already happened. You notice he's speaking about something that is to come, but he's saying that God already did this. He talks about the oath that, that God swore to Abraham. You see, in the prophetic, he understands the fullness of what is happening here, that all the things God did in the past are being tied to the person of Jesus who is about to come. He goes on to say, to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve God without fear. Do you understand that salvation that is brought to you by Jesus, the salvation we talk about at Christmas, is here so that you might serve God without fear? Not only without fear, but also serve Him in holiness and righteousness for all of your days. I find this to be an incredibly encouraging passage of Scripture. And then he goes on and talks about his son. John, who will be the prophet of Jesus. What did John the Baptist do? He, he prepared the way. One voice crying in the wilderness, calling out, prepare the way for the Lord. It was John who showed up and began baptizing people for the forgiveness of sin. But when Jesus walked on the scene, John deferred all authority, all power to Jesus. I love that John was so full of the Holy Spirit in the womb that when Mary came to Elizabeth and said, I am pregnant too, that John did a backflip in his mama's belly. I think that is wonderful. And all you ladies who have experienced that probably don't think it's quite as wonderful as I do. But I'm limited in my understanding. What can I tell you? But I want you to pay very, very special attention to this. In verse 77, it says, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Sometimes we struggle with the mystery of salvation. Sometimes we're not too sure how to explain it to people. Sometimes we're not too sure how to give an account or give a testimony for the goodness of what God has done. Can I just make it really simple for you as we begin this great season of Christmas this year? The reality is this, is that the knowledge of salvation comes by the forgiveness of sin. And that is to say that if you are without sin, it's hard for you to experience salvation. If you're perfect in your own mind, which is usually the only way you're going to ever be perfect, um, 
you're going to have a hard time comprehending what salvation is. Because you see, the law points out that we are sinners and points out our need for Jesus. And it's the knowledge, it's the knowledge of salvation that comes by the forgiving of our sins that makes the difference in our lives. The moment that I realize, when I have confessed my sin to God, when I have made things right between myself and Him by confession, when I have gone to my wife or have gone to my children or when we go to one another to make ourselves right by the confessing of sin, we begin to understand once again the freshness, the reality, and the power of salvation. But you see, we have to understand the forgiveness of sin in order to experience the salvation. I think it's worth meditating on through this entire Christmas season. What a powerful revelation. What a powerful understanding it is that the knowledge of salvation comes to you by the forgiving of your sin. The next word I want to talk about this morning is the word redemption. Everyone say redemption. And and this is one that I hope speaks to your heart in, in actually in an emotional way. I want you to know right now that right now in this part of the message, I'm coming after your emotions. Because redemption is such a powerfully profound word. In Luke 2, 36 to 38, it says this, and there was a prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phineal. And Phineal... His, his name is derived from the word that means face-to-face with God. Of the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after they had been married and then was a widow to the age of 84. Now, just so you know, some transcripts would actually read she was then a widow for another 84 years. Now, it makes a difference in how old she is because she's either 84 or well over 100, just, just depending on. The point of that is, is that God uses old people too. Like really old people. In their 80s and in their 100s. God, God wants to use us because he's faithful to all generations for all time. God, God's hand doesn't come off of a generation because they turn 60. <laughs> you you got to understand that. And to those of you who are raising kids right now, there's a generation that is set apart, called and blessed to speak into your life raising children because they have had the grace in this life to move into their 60s and beyond. God likes to use old people. He wants to use older people. Don't, now, if you're old this morning, please don't get bitter or hurt that I called you old. It's just a statement of fact. I'm sorry, I should have learned my lesson. That you are advanced in years, not old. But either way... For those 84 years that she served, she never, get this, she never left the temple. She, rather, she served day and night with fasting and prayer. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak, to all, to, to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. What is the redemption of Jerusalem? Can I tell you this morning, the redemption of Jerusalem was not a political or social statement. That, that's, not, that's not what it was. Much of the culture of that day was looking for a political relief from Roman oppression. That is true. 
That's the historical context of the physical reality that Israel was under in those days. But that is not what Anna is prophesying about. That's not what she's speaking about. When the Bible says that to speak to him, and it's capital H, so speak of God to all those who are looking for the redemption of Israel. In other words, anybody who was open to what God wanted to say, anyone who was open to the hope of Jesus, she was talking to about this word redemption. What does that word even mean? Well, redemption, I'll just give it to you this simply. It means to rebuy. To redeem is to rebuy. Um, if you have a, a coupon and you want to redeem the coupon, see, you, you already have the coupon, but you're going you're gonna to give it to get what you want. You're going you're gonna to redeem the product. You can already have the product. It's just when you redeem it, you're, you're buying it again. You're buying it a different way. You're buying it a new way. You're buying it at a discount in that analogy. But what does it mean when you and I are being redeemed? Well, the Bible teaches us this, that the whole earth belongs to the Lord and everything in it also belongs to the Lord. That would include all of your stuff, all of my stuff, and it would include me, and it would include you. We all belong to the Lord. We're His already. He can, he can actually do what He wants with us, regardless of whether our will does or doesn't align with His. We are, we're His. We, we belong to Him. Now, when God does, what God does when He redeems us is even though He already had us and holds us, and we are his possession, which, which, by the way, is not derogatory, but, but very honoring of who we are, that God would consider us a worthy possession for himself. That's way more of a compliment than you can ever understand, for the God to have everything to call us his treasured possession. Now, understand this, that when Jesus came and was born of a virgin and he grew up and he grew with favor, in favor with men and God. And he did the things and he performed his signs and wonders. And then eventually he went to the cross and died a sinless death in our place to, to make propitiation for our sin. That's the process of redemption. Jesus was offered as a payment on top of payment that had already been made. Jesus was offered as payment for something that God already owned. That's the work of the cross. Redeemed. That's the work of what is happening at the cross when Jesus came to this earth. You know, I don't, I don't fully understand still, even though I've been walking with God for many years now, I still fully cannot appreciate the cost. Or why? You know, like, when I stand in, in the presence of God one day, I'm gonna, I feel like I'm going to have questions about, like, but why did it have to work that way, God? Why? Why did you choose to make it cost what it had to cost? And I think I already know the answer. And it's just that that's the value God places on you and me. But my brain, my physical humanity cannot understand how that is a beneficial deal for God. You know what I'm saying? I struggle with that. But nonetheless, I'm going to yield to what Scripture says regardless of my ability to understand in the deepest place of who I am. 
And the Bible actually gives us a really great picture that is leaning forward in the Old Testament to what would happen in the New Testament, and it's in the book of Hosea. Um, if you're a married man in this church and you have ever come and complained to me about your wife, without a doubt, I have told you to go and read the book of Hosea. I won't ask you to put up your hands, but you know, you know, and we've talked about it, and you know darn well I told you, read the book of Hosea. Because why? The book of Hosea is a picture of Israel's relationship with God. And this is how, th I'm just going to give you the Cliff's notes, if you will, on Hosea. God says to Hosea, go and, and get yourself, take for yourself. You might, understanding that pimps have always been pimps, you could say, you have to go and buy yourself a wife who is a prostitute. Who feels called today to what God wants for your life? I do. I'll do anything, Lord. Okay, go, buy, go and take for yourself a wife who's a prostitute. Well, God, that's not what I quite had in mind. Um, remember, this is a picture of how humanity is with God. For a while, Hosea and his wife, uh, Gomer, I believe is her name, right? Yeah, it's Gomer. For a while, things are okay. He's, 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 he's brought her out of a life of prostitution. She's now living in his home. He's providing for her. They have three children together. But then she goes back to prostituting herself. Now, I, I know that some of us can't imagine what that's like. And actually, some of you know what that's like. And this is the part that, that displays redemption in such a unique way. Hosea, presumably a very righteous man of God, has done this thing. He has rescued this woman from a life of harlotry. He's rescued her from a lifestyle that, that was not healthy, that was not beneficial, that was surely abusive, that was surely full of all kinds of unhealthy control and, and horrific things. He buys her back. He buys her out of that. And then she leaves again. And God says, now go buy her back again. Can you imagine the imagery here? If you had to walk this out in your life, that you had to walk back down and deal with that scum of the earth guy who is trading women. And say, okay, well, I'm, I'm here to take her back. How much this time? I'm sorry that that's really offensive in a way. But it fits when we understand that it's God's metaphor for how we are with Him. Buy her back again. You know, what I think is profound is that chapter 1 of Hosea starts in this, go and take, you could say, go and buy yourself a wife of harlotry. But when we get to chapter 3, God says, go and love your wife. Understand this about this word redemption. To be redeemed means to be bought again. And I love how Zechariah spoke about something that was coming in the very near future, but he spoke about it in the past as if it had always been. And I want you to understand that as far as I can understand from reading the Scriptures... In the mind and in the heart of God, things are under control and things are aligned and ordained with His perfect will. And He foreknows things. 
And somehow in all of that, there's room for, for your will at some level, and there's room for other people to do wrong and right, and somehow it all stays within the perfect sovereignty of God. But I'm amazed that God's solution to all of this is simply to buy you again. And sometimes our doctrine speaks to us in a way that says, well, you were bought once, so you were bought once, and that was it. That's all you need. That's all it is. And that is true. But the reality is, no matter how good you are at following Jesus today, there is a very high high likelihood that you are going to sin before the end of next week is out. And I want you to understand the beauty of this word, and it should have an emotional power in your life that the word redeem means to buy again. And this week you may come to church and you may have it all together and you may not have hollered at your kids or you may not have done this or that or you you may have gotten it right all week long but tomorrow you're going to fail, you're going to fall somehow, some way. I want you to know that God's solution, because He paid once and for all, simply buys you again. Where we run into a doctrinal problem is that people tend to divide over this idea that we can therefore then sin without consequence once we've been saved. But that's not how it works. That's not how it works in your family. If your child does wrong, you still love them, but you address the wrong. And we tend to doctrinalize this in a way that says, well, I will never screw up again because I can't. Or we say, it doesn't matter if I screw up because God's grace is sufficient. And both of those things are true, but by themselves, they are not full. They're not complete. You know, the old man, the old nature in you is what's going to fall this week. It won't be the new creation in Christ. And the men of God wrote through Scripture a number of places and a number of times to help us understand that reality. The consequence of sin will always separate us from some level from God. But the simple solution in God's heart is that this word redemption immediately kicks in and we are once again bought back from sin. Now here is the part that we don't like to talk about necessarily. You will still face God's reproach. You would still face God's discipline. But in no way will that diminish His character and His love for you because you are redeemed. You're you're bought again. And you're, you're bought again. And how many times will God buy you back from your difficult situation? Well, the answer is pretty simple. Until the day of our Lord, as many times as it takes. Again, for those of you who think, well, that's okay, I don't have to try. No, you're going to have to try. Because believe me, you will deal with the consequences, you will bear the reproach, you will undergo the discipline of the Lord and of the people who love you and are around you. But here's the goal. Here's the goal of God's heart. And here's really the heart of every parent who truly loves their children. It's not that our children will never, ever get something wrong again. But it's that when they do, they will still come to us. 
And that's the power of this word redeem. The power of redemption, where before we were separated from God by our sin, when Jesus comes and redeems us, we are now put into a new relationship with God, whereby we cannot be separated from His love. Right? I am convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Jesus Christ. I was at a funeral once for an unsaved person in an unsaved church. And they quoted that verse. And they literally left out the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I want you to know something. In that moment, they made that verse to be a lie. Because without the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, we are all absolutely separated from the love of God. Absolutely separated from it. There is one way to be made right with our Heavenly Father, and that is through the person, the name, the deity of Jesus Christ. There is no redemption that qualifies outside the redemptive power of Jesus' name being placed on your forehead. There is no other option. There is no other possibility. There is no other way. There is no name under heaven by which men can be saved other than the name of Jesus. The beauty of being redeemed is, yes, I will get something wrong but my friend, the Holy Spirit, is waiting there. And all he's doing is waiting for me to bend to him again, to turn to him. And like a flood, he comes in. See, parents, if we raise our kids in a reality where there is no redemption, and they've really done something wrong, and we say, you come here, if we've done it wrong, they run the other way. But the power of redemption says, you've done it wrong, now come to me. And they do. I'm actually grateful that that's the scenario probably most of you get to live in. I think I have, I, in the past few days, I've had to give all four of my children trouble at different times. Probably in the past 20 minutes, I've had to give at least three of the four of them trouble. And I've been here for those 20 minutes. <laughs> I mean, you get this. You get this. But understand the power of redemption. The power of redemption, when we've wronged God, when we've wronged something in his standard, in his statutes, it is the power of redemption that allows us to turn back to him and come back to him and face his reproach and face his discipline. Why? Because he loves us. Because he will continue to redeem you as many times as it takes until Jesus returns. Well, what if I do this? Well, what if you do that? Are you going to turn from it? Are you going to bear the reproach of the one who made you, the one who loves you? If so, you'll walk in the power of redemption. I, I look at it this way for these two words. Salvation is the present 
Okay, if, you, if you're kids, for you, salvation is the present God wrapped and gave to you for Christmas. Like in a literal, metaphoric kind of a sense. Which is a very modern way to use the word literal. Don't, don't forget that. Salvation is the present, but redemption is the play. Whatever it is you're thinking, oh, I want it for Christmas this year. Oh, I hope I get it for Christmas. You've been bugging mom and dad, grandma and grandpa. You're bugging everybody. This is the present mankind, humanity was asking God for, was salvation. Whether we knew it or not, it, it is the cry because it's wired into us by our creator. That we are, we are hungry for, we are looking for salvation. And here's how silly this would be. Can you imagine kids or parents that if you got to Christmas morning this year and there's that present and you're sure by the shape, the weight, how you can shake the package that it is the exact thing you've been hoping for but you never open it. You just leave it sitting there under the tree saying, oh, I got my present. You tell your friends when you go back to school, guess what, guys? I got my present. And your friends would all look at you and say, oh, well, so what was it like to play with it? And you would say, I don't know. I never opened it. See, salvation is the present, but redemption is the unwrapping it, taking it out, shooting your friends with it, driving it around, putting batteries in it, hugging it, pretending you're changing its diaper, whatever it is. Salvation is the present. Redemption is the play. And I want you to understand this morning, church, and all of you who are watching online, you are missing the gospel if it is only a present in your life. If you have stopped at salvation thinking that somehow that is going to be a conclusion in your life, you've missed the point altogether. Because the reality is, is that we don't want to need to be redeemed, but salvation already helped us understand that we do. Why? Because the knowledge of salvation comes by the forgiving of our sin. Salvation is the present. Redemption is the play. And what you all need to do this morning, every one of us, is we need to take that present, we need to unwrap it, and we need to not be afraid to get it dirty. We need to not be afraid to let it get banged up or stained. Because it's from God. Do you understand that you can't break redemption bad enough that God can't fix it? You can't. You can't bend it. You can't twist it. You can't drown it. You can't throw it in the washing machine with the wrong other colors and it's expected to come out any different than what God designed it to do. It is redemption. It is His ability to buy His creation back for Himself. When we say, I am blood-bought, I am bought with the blood of Jesus, that is the act of redemption. My hope for you this morning and through this Christmas season, and even in the days that we're in right now, is that you would learn to take great risks knowing that God has bought you back for a reason. That you would learn to risk much relationally so that someone else might move a little bit closer to Jesus. That you would begin to take greater risks in your business. That you would take greater risks in your marriage. That you would take greater risks with your children because you are no longer in fear that you can somehow damage the redemptive reality of who Jesus is in your life. Take a risk. Be okay with getting it wrong. Let the Word of God admonish you. Let your pastors teach you. Let the Holy Spirit bring reproach into your life so that you can become better than you were because anything less is simply to leave the gift of salvation shoved under a tree.
And the image I want to leave you with this morning is of the child who is in trouble. Son, how many times am I going to tell you? Follow through. Do the job I asked you to do. How many times am I going to have to tell you to get that done? I want you to understand the answer is this. It's as many times as it takes. As many times. I honestly don't know if my, my sons and daughters will ever clean things up the way my wife and I want them to. But we're willing to keep on telling them so that one day, whoever they marry will be blessed with someone who keeps house better than they did. Somebody say amen. It could be one of your kids. I trust you're doing the same. Please, please do the same. We're going to have the worship team come back. We're going to close the service. And I really, you know, I really don't have anything else to say to you today. Salvation is the present. Redemption is the play. You need to receive and do both. We're going to take that moment we always take. If you're at home this morning, your living room, your office, wherever you are watching online, you take the moment with us, please. We're going to ask the question, Holy Spirit, what do you need me to do? What do you want me to do with what I've heard today? And then I want to invite you to come forward this morning if you'd like prayer. You know, the, the, the most tragic thing that happens, in my opinion, on Sunday mornings is that people come to church and they leave without getting prayer for something they're dealing with. It's a tragedy. It doesn't need to be that way. You don't, you don't have to walk out these doors the same way you came in. You don't have to log off the same way you logged on. You can be changed today in the presence of God. And maybe it'll help you this morning understanding that God is going to redeem you again and again and again and again. He has, so he can and he will. It's not a problem for him. Let's bow our heads. Let's just take a moment. Holy Spirit, pray it out loud. Pray it in your heart, however you're comfortable. But pray, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.